It's not a hard job. No sweat. It does not involve blood. Just sit back. Easy times listening to Mod God. Welcome to a very special episode of both Culture in Motion and Mod Scott. These are, um, we have an intersection today where we, um, we are going to talk about um, the music of ska and its effect on um, the world as we normally do. And this is where we're also going to uh, be talking about um, early uh, ska movement and black culture with the uh, um, resident uh, aficionado Mike Crenshaw. That Mike. Pew, pew, pew. Hey everybody. Hello. Uh-huh, nice having you here today. Good to be here. Good to meet you, Rachel. Good to meet you, Anthony. Hey, good to meet you. You too. And uh, coming in from uh, Florida with the with the trumpet sounds of ska running through her always is uh, the amazing Rachel Steele. What's up, Rachel? Hello. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, of course, um, what can I say? Anthony Robinson, the funniest dude I know. Me- needs no introduction. No, no, no introduction. That's good shit. Love it. Uh, so, um, Mike is working on a project. Do you want to, uh, you want to talk about your project, Mike? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, sure. I'm working on a number of projects stemming from a concept based on my life story and how it intersects with, uh, stories of others who were into the same lifestyle. And that is Black Skinhead. Black Skinhead is the working title, um, of what, what was going to just be a podcast, um, what, is a book that is developing um, what will eventually be a series of documentaries, a, a documentary split up in a series. And there, there's some other stuff going on with it too. So it's all, we're developing all of it simultaneously, but one of the, the strongest aspects that's available for people to check out now that's in the world in production and available is the It Did Happen Here podcast. So if you go to itdidhappenherepodcast.com, you're gonna be able to check out these podcast episodes to talk about some of the history of some black skinheads um, from the Midwest and how that intersects with the founding of anti-racist action and anti-fascist and anti-racist organizing in Portland, Oregon. Well, so if some of our listeners aren't, aware uh that word uh skinhead mm-hmm. um really throws a a fear into it so uh were you hanging out with those guys who threw a chair at geraldo rivera or uh, mm-hmm. what, what was that 
You know what I mean? Like, because that's what I think most people think when they hear that word. You want to? Can we want to? Reference wanna, right there. Yeah, it's a. Uh, that's a. Uh, that's a. Uh, what? What do? Where? What would you say to what would you say to somebody besides what you have coming up um, who questions that word uh, skinhead and uh, and what they and um, especially especially like in Portland which our KBU listeners uh, mostly live in and uh, um, you know with a with a terrible history um, as as talked about in um, in the podcast you were just talking about um, it did happen here um, with terrible history with that word. Um, do you want to give a little rundown of the history of the skinhead movement and how it pertains to black people um, and how it transformed into a, uh, a racist, uh, a racist uh, emblem? Yes. But before I do, you know, put on your seatbelts because you're in for a long winded answer. <laughs> Here we go. So what I is Scott? Uh, Get ready. <laughs> I don't want to blow your socks off, right? But <laughs> the funny thing is, is that uh, everybody involved in the skinhead uh, movement has this this uh, explanation, like on a holster on their hip, because we get to yes, say it an yes. awful lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? Like being being an entertainer, being a performer, and a public speaker and stuff. There's this thing that happens where you can tell when you're losing the room. You know, even sure. if it's just one person, and right. you start to see them like kind of like get go into an unconscious dimension while you're talking to them. Right. And it's, I, I have answered the question so many times that I have this kind of insecurity, like it's too rote, you know, and I can yeah. tell like, I'm sure, losing sure. Well, But anyway, we're not, we're not, we're talking to people who are listening to the radio, who are on the internet. And um, <clears throat> the history of skinhead started in the late sixties in um, England. Okay. The, you had, you know, the, the term the sun never sets on the British Empire, right? That's because the British was the world's um, most widespread colonial power. And they had invaded all these countries and lands all over the world. And some of those places were in the West Indies. Um, they invaded the West Indies in a colonial imperialist mission. And they were looking to, you know, find gold. Um, they committed atrocities wow. and acts of genocidal warfare against the native people there, the indigenous people there. And then they participated in the slavery and the forced displacement and transport of African people, masses and masses of African people, um, tens of millions of African people into the Western hemisphere, what was defined as a new world. So the West Indies, so to speak, is a place in the Caribbean Sea uh, between North America and South America, off the East Coast, and in the west side of the Atlantic Ocean. And it is, uh, there are islands there. One of them is Jamaica. So Jamaica was a British colony. In the late 60s, working class black folks from Jamaica were moving to, were migrating to England because they were colonial subjects looking for a better life in um, the financial centers of, of Great Britain. Okay, so when they came, they brought with them their music, their style and their culture. And some of that music was early um, forms of reggae that would become, you know, roots or ska or rock steady reggae. And when they got to England, some of the white kids that were in the working class communities um, took a liking to the style of these black Jamaican immigrants. And they started listening to the music, <coughs> mixing it up socially and dance halls together. And that's when British ska was born. And that's 
the two-tone, when you see, you know, groups like Selector and, and the Specials and Madness, mm -hmm. often they're associated with this black and white checkerboard, right? Yeah. And a certain style, high and tight, you know, tapered suits and, and skinny ties and, you know, button down shirts and so forth. And that, that was a representation of the black Jamaicans and the white British kids coming together and enjoying the music and the culture. And the style that was born from that mixture was called skinhead because the kids wore their hair short. The black kids would keep their hair short and the white kids started cutting their hair like the black kids and even putting parts in them. And <clears throat> that was the early expression of the movement that was, I won't say it was based on racial unity, but the fact that it was multiracial was, was a definite aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Would you say there was class elements in that too, right? Where they were all working class people. This was not, you know, upper middle class kids might have seen it and thought it was cool and tried to get into it. Right. But this is coming from what would be considered the hood. This right. is coming from the bricks. This is coming from the poor people mixing right. it up. Right. And, you know, in, in England, you know, the there is a, there, they are still, you know, particularly at this time, it might be a little lighter now, but I mean, the class system was still very, very much in place. And that, and that um, you know, and has been since the beginning of time. So you really saw um, at that point, probably um, not much different in viewed by society from immigrant workers um, to other dock workers, you know, I mean, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a real, like, like now you can now it's broken up where of course like working class people um, oftentimes are uh, you know can be can be against other poor people in like in our culture but at that point the class system sort of led um, you know um, really the forefront of England uh, just uh, you know structure you know so um, you saw a lot of uh, those kids with all hairs because they all worked at the docks and they couldn't have long hair down at the docks you know and they. Um, and you know that all coming together really became a, you know, like uh, a, a real big moment of uh, of unity, um, whether it was actually yeah real unity or not. You know, I think more so than ideological unity, there was just the practical circumstances that sure. brought people together. People had to work together, they had to live around each other. And if you look at the the fashion of the skinhead, it's a really it's actually a utilitarian style that's got some crisp edges on top to try mm -hmm. to make it better, you know? So you got work pants and jeans, you got work boots and work shoes, but you're gonna polish them, you know? And mm -hmm. you're gonna press those jeans, you're gonna press those pants, and you're gonna top it off with a crisp button down shirt and a V-neck sweater, you know? Suspenders or anything. I was talking to a friend of mine, he said that um, in Jamaica back in the day, anytime they would perform, they would look their best in their best suits and their ties and their white button down shirts. And that's something that carried over when ska started becoming more popular in Britain. Uh, it, what else like stuck, what else kind of is more remnant of, of that culture though, that people associate strictly with ska? So the, the crispness of the fashion yeah. You know, the, the crisp edges, um, the lines, the seams, the hems, the hair, the lines in the hair. Yeah. That all comes from black folks mm -hmm. who did not have much. So when it was time to step out, we did our best. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that, that a handful of us have been talking about this. A lot of the Jamaican cats were influenced by R&B and soul. 
from the United States. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the dress styles, when you look at cats like uh, Smokey Robinson, um, Stats Records artists, they're all wearing the same uniform that the skinheads wore because this is when the uniform of young black folks in the community in the urban centers in the United States who mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of money, but when it was time to be out in public, they were going to look good. And I'll take it full circle. The first time I went to Africa, I was in Rwanda and I was rooming at a conference with these guys who came from one of the poorest countries uh, proportionately as far as uh, gross national product, gross, gross domestic product and per capita income. One of the poorest countries in the world, they would have one pair of shoes and maybe two pairs of pants and a couple of shirts, but every morning they would polish their shoes and they would iron and press their pants and shirts. So when you saw them, they were looking better. Mm-hmm. Might've come over there with a whole suitcase full of stuff. Right. Yeah, I think that, um, I think wanting to look good is a really uh, a representation of a lot of people who were raised in extreme conditions. Like it's just something about that, like looking fresh and looking good. That's like such a good, strong, uh, make you feel like a, a real person, you know, in a world yeah. that particularly isn't treating people like real people, you know? And, uh, um, that's a con- it's like a constant complaint by like right wing, like racists and junk like that. Like, Oh, look, well, uh, somebody's wearing like a fancy pair of shoes or like, Oh, they're spending like, you don't understand. Like, yep. like, like there's like a day that you can, you can go out and you can like, you know what, I'm going to buy myself a nice pair of shoes. And so I look good. And then I can mm-hmm. feel like a human being. Well, also there's a, there's a practical element to that. You, you can't look poor when you want to go say apply for a job or, yep. you know, socialize and things like that, or at least <laughs> feel good when you look poor. Right. So mm-hmm. that's why people do that a lot of times just to be able to, feel good enough to walk inside of a door and do something important. I mean, I, I, I speak from experience and observation on that. So that's part of it too. It's not just, a, oh, I got to have Jordan. Just the idea of these nice shoes are going to help me get farther along with whatever things I'm going for in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a measure of dignity. Yeah. Um, you know, you can take you can take a lot. You can take my civil liberties. You can try to take my human rights, um, but you're not going to take away my dignity. You know? um, and in a class structure where class is imposed on you, where you don't get to control your economic mobility, um, what do you control? You mm-hmm. get to control the way you express yourself. You get to control the way you show up. You know, when you leave the house. So, so I have a question. Um, so there are a lot of those like like fashion choices, music choices that define skinheads. What is are there any like ideological um, like creeds or anything that define a skinhead nowadays? Now that it's a little more evolved, or is it just a time so, period? Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna start where we left off on the timeline with the original yeah. skinheads, okay? And then what happened was there was a uh, a couple of different evolutions of the movement. Um, Fashion-wise, in the in the 70s, the movement come in the late 70s, the movement comes back into popularity. But right now, it's interacting with the punk movement, mm-hmm. and it almost becomes like a subcultural sect. It, it does become a sub subcultural sect within the punk movement. The punks and the skins look very different, but the economic conditions of Thatcher era England, um, with a lot of austerity 
and economic hardships on the working class is creating a lot of rebellious youth who are saying, you know, the society is not looking out for us. They don't have our interests in mind. And so they're taken to the streets of subcultural sex. At that point, that's also when the skinhead movement starts to divide into, you had people who were into the original two-tone movement, mm-hmm. with different races coming together based on listening to reggae music and ska music and soul music. And then you had the emergence of the white power skinhead because just like Trump era, USA and Reagan era USA and so many other eras in Western history, you have this, the establishment scapegoating the immigrant, scapegoating the minority, scapegoating the poor for the country's problems. And in that context, there's always a group of frustrated white people who feel entitled to be on top, who feel their entitlement vanishing because now they don't have access to the privilege and all they have left is violence and hatred. And so a group of those people started to become more impactful in the skinhead subculture led by the British movement and the National Front, these far-right political organizations and politicians who were preying on xenophobia, preying mm-hmm. on the minds of angry white disenfranchised youth and filling that void with racism and hatred and scapegoating. So that carries into the, nine, the 80s and 90s throughout those decades in the US where you had skinheads who were non-racist, anti-racist, uh, more in tune with the original ethos of the culture. And then you had the white power skinheads who came into popularity here based on 80s media exposure. Um, and again, the, the political economic conditions where large masses of white folks are starting to feel like their white privilege is slipping away. Who are we going to blame? And a lot of those youth became the foot soldiers for <clears throat> the racist skinhead movement. I would suggest if anybody is interested in uh, reading more about that era of England, um, uh, read a book called um, Among the Thugs. I think it's Bill Buford, I believe, uh, wrote it. And it's a it's a, a just kind of a, a story of, a, of an American who went to England during that time period. And uh, it really kind of digs into it's really the the book is about soccer hooliganism, um, you know, football hooliganism through it. But there's a bunch of chapters basically on how white among power the thugs. among the thugs about how white power gangs really preyed on on football stadiums to to um to that a lot of like uh disenfranchised uh white youth who um really had no nowhere to go were really um swept up in the white power movement because it was um not, it, you know beyond even like the political aspects and like their anger and and there were um a lot of them were just sort of like um, didn't have a whole lot else going on, mm-hmm. so they so they were really able to be to be like swept into these groups, which just gave them numbers and uh, um, and uh, you know and they already had sort of like drunken violent past, so they were mm-hmm. they were comfortable involving themselves in drunken violent behaviors already. This was these were normal uh, normal actions for them, and so they were able to, uh, the, the leaders of the groups of the National Front, the BNP, uh, the British National Party, um, really were able to uh, um, uh, point the, a lot of those kids in a direction, you know, and, um, you know, so. Gave them something to believe in. I'll just say, you know, when I listen to you say, just give this explanation of hooliganism, right? Uh, which is basically just a bunch of white thugs, a lot of right. whom are going to soccer matches and, and, and attacking people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this, you know, in, spreads from England all over Europe. It's popular today. But when you describe what that element is, all you're talking about is gang culture. Right. But, you know, it's, it's parallel and a reflection of and identical to what we call gang culture when we talk about Black and Latino youth. You know, it's funny, too, because I, to, as a side note on this conversation, when you brought up today's, you know, version of racism, they do gang signs now. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very, yeah it's, it's evolving you know, <laughs> gradually, you know, now they're going to start having bandanas and actually they probably do. Yeah. Oh my God. Look, they're gonna have white supremacists <laughs> walking and, you know, my gosh, <laughs> see this book right here. What's that? This is a uh, world of gangs. Okay. I'm going to loan this by uh, John M. Hagedorn. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, this, book, yeah, yeah. this is another good one here, Settlers by Jay Sakai, right? Mm -hmm. So this is about the history of the, the settler. They touch on it in the world of gangs, and in this one, they, it's all about the history of settler colonialism, the types of people that came over here to settle. Not the rich aristocrats, but the working class, poor, the basically thug class from Europe. Oh. So gang, modern gang culture comes from them. Right. They all the stuff that the black and Latino people wound up doing was actually started by white folks who were doing it themselves. Wow. Yeah, the gang they had their own gang hand signs and their colors and all of that stuff. Because wow. it was the, the, the white migrant ethnic migrant classes that were in these urban centers that were poor mm -hmm. that started the the modern gang culture in the United States. And it was the immigrant pop, the non-white immigrant populations had to form gangs to protect themselves. Yep. Right. I was just going to say that. From oh, the running right. riots, yeah. because yeah. the white people would raid the black neighborhoods right. and burn everything to the ground and massacre people. And the right. police, I'm sure, did absolutely nothing about that. Well, they're just yeah. another. They were gangs. The, police, the fire department, they were all coming from white gang culture, actually. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm glad you said That's, that, Mike, yeah. about, about that particular aspect yeah that's that's very important to know yeah um and it's really um it's really pretty like i mean even you could even watch something like let's say like uh peaky blinders is a really great example of like you know um whenever people get impoverished impoverished people will will figure out ways to try to get themselves out of it yep. and they will and they and there it will always be money is a lot of money is created by force in this world you know and so um you know a lot of wealth is created by force most wealth is created by force so so it's easy to say well if me and my buddies are tired of being treated like junk let's um um let's gather together and go take some of this back ourselves because exactly. um, there because, will always be a black market so exactly exactly mm -hmm. or or you know what they have it and i can take it so, right. you know, and if, I, and if we decide to, and when we decide to step out of the uh, quote unquote social contract, um, you know, it's a, it, um, it's a, uh, then all of a sudden you're a gang, you know what I mean? Which it's like, um, and it's, and it's a, a word that's used to demonize a lot of groups of people who, who have been put together for um, like you're talking about like self-protection and things like that. So it's, it's really not even like, a, I think Killer Mark 
said it best uh, um, in one of his episodes of his show where he said, uh, they're not really gangs, they're more like street fraternities. You know what I mean? Where it's like groups of people, you know. I, I, it's to the point where it's almost cliche to say it. Um, because, when, you know, in a lot of the documentaries that you see over the years, you're going to hear gangsters saying over and over again, the biggest gang is the police or the military, you know. And it's true in that a lot of these, these social structures and ways of self-organizing come out of a response and a reaction to the dominant forces that set these uh, kinds of activities into motion. Yep. Whether it was the, the church, okay, or the, crusade, the crusades, the, the Catholic church, different forms of dominant Christianity, partnering with the aristocrats, creating private armies to go out and pillage and plunder and take control of the resources. A lot of this started in Europe when the Europeans wanted to take control of the Arab trade, Arab controlled trade routes. And so they got armies together and they got their symbols and they went out to murder and to dominate and take over those trade routes and accumulate and consolidate wealth. And it's been going on ever since. That's the story mm -hmm. of Western expansion. This, there's a documentary on, on HBO right now called Exterminate All the Brutes. Check that out. Made by a Haitian filmmaker and it's dynamite. He explores the whole history of Western expansion and genocide that brought us modern civilization. And you're just going to see the same things we're talking about over and over and over. Mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm. Mike, what are your feelings on Sky once it got towards the late 80s and 90s on? Early 90s, yeah. Third and fourth wave. You know, <laughs> honestly, guys, I, I have to confess, sometimes I, I have imposter syndrome. Um, as a black skinhead, <laughs> I didn't really. I preferred reggae over mm. snap. I feel you know? you. And I, I'm a big dancehall person myself. Nice. Something that, yeah. that Anthony, something that actually I'm critical of in skinhead culture is this this whole claim to be anti-racist, but we only mess with ska that happened in a certain period. And I'm like, what about the evolution <laughs> in the dancehall though? <laughs> so shout out to my guy at Box Cutter Brigade on, on Instagram. My guy uh, Jabari, aka Corky, old skinhead of Chicago black skinhead. Because he put me up on this, this new British mashup between ska and dancehall and hip hop, right? Ooh. And it's this, this brother, uh, what's his name? King Aggie. Have you guys heard him? No. no. Man, his music is cold. It's got the best elements of everything I love about Sky and reggae, but it's like modern hip hop. And it's very cool. Yeah. Um, we, those are and the early, uh, the early Sky guys. Um, I think that there's like, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Sky itself was really like the first of like the quote unquote reggae. It wasn't even called reggae at that point, mm -hmm. you know, not until, um, not until Tooth came out with uh, "Do the Reggae," and um, um, and that was, you know, and that was like the dance hall of the time. Um, and then Jamaica went through a um, a heat wave, and they couldn't dance as fast, so they came up with rock. They came <laughs> yeah. up with ro they came up with rock steady, which was more mellowed out and more taken after soul music. Um, and I, that, I love Dub. Dub is so slept on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Dub, like Dub, like I, I can kind of come and go with Dub because like a lot of the root stuff I don't love, but like there's some really great stuff out there, and especially like when they mix it up with like the Rocksteady and the DJ stuff, like Big Youth and uh, 
uh, Uroy and stuff like that, they can really get some amazing songs from there, you know, amazing styles. And it's really like the first thing that you first like attempts you see at like, like hip hop, like mastery of music, like breaking things up and like cutting, cutting in samples of different songs and different using old songs to make new songs. You know, that's pretty cool. A lot of people don't realize that without reggae, there would be no hip hop, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Particularly with Cool Herc, you know. <laughs> yep. And all of that stemmed from jazz. Like when the transistor radios came over to Jamaica, they were listening to it and they tried copying it and then they made their own style. And that's how Scott came around. I yeah, that's so awesome. even the dub plate as. Yeah. The, the instrumental B-side, okay, of a record. One side has the vocals on it, one side is just the beat, you know? And that's sure. what the kids would toast over, which is the birth of MCing. Right, right. yeah. Right, yeah. Because yeah. they had to keep the party moving because the, the moment the party wasn't moving, that's when the trouble starts, right? So we're mm -hmm. going to keep everybody on the dance floor and keep everyone having fun, and that's what we use this microphone for. You ever see those old days when they would, when a lot of the guys would only have be able to afford one turntable? So they had like the other record in their hand, and they had this like one movement that they did with one hand where they could just like turn one record into another one. It's like it did it a bit, like it would barely break the freaking sound. Like the sound would just keep moving, and they would just take one right off the table and slap another platter on, and then boom, it was it was it was on. It was uh, pretty cool stuff. I mean, really learn to keep that keep it going. It's a uh, you guys mess awesome. with Linton Quessy Johnson? Quincy Johnson? Linton Quessy Johnson? Oh, no. Uh, first time hearing that name. Okay. He He's one of my favorite black British reggae artists. He was big in the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, been doing his thing all through the 90s. Political, hardcore political dub reggae artist. Okay. Okay. Sure. Say his name one more time so I can dial that in. Linton, L-I-N-T-O-N, Kwesi, K-W-E-S-I, Johnson. He was also in the British uh, Black Panther Party. Oh, yeah, that's going in my room. Let me, let me check that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you acknowledge, uh, so let me, I, I want to ask you, uh, Mike, do you, so there are variations of skinheads, you know, over over time. Do you acknowledge like sharps and you know, like I, you know, over the years I've encountered like sharps and uh, you know, even like just straight edge people who associate, you know, the skinhead with with that part of the culture. Are you into those type of variations of it? Yeah, I grew up with a lot of people who were sharps. Uh, when I first moved to Portland. A lot of my best friends were guys who were already sharp skinheads against racial prejudice. Sharps formed um, kind of parallel to the Minneapolis Baldies. If you go back on its timeline, you know, we founded the Minneapolis Baldies in 86. I think sharps formed right after us on the East Coast, either New York or New Jersey was the first sharp chapter. But I that think was that was when Roddy that was when Roddy Morano from the Oppressed came over and uh, didn't him it was him and uh, what's his name from the Agnostic Front, right? Um, uh, oh, one uh, of my favorites. I'm not sure I what, the, what I don't know that exact story. Yeah, I, know, I thought I know that Roddy came came over and then he had to leave because he has a felony. But um, um, but I know that they they kind of worked together on the on the creating of of you know Sharp initially was like a gang, a, a specific gang of people. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Then it became sort of the term. You know, 
Yeah, so that first sharp chapter formed shortly after the Baldies form, but we were we became aware of each other. So we respect Sharp, but we were always proud of our own designation as Minneapolis Baldies. So even though we're anti-racist skinheads, if you were to ask me if I'm a Sharp, I'm gonna say no, I'm a Baldy, but I'm down with Sharps. You know, they're those are the homies because they they stood against the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one see- of my favorite uh oh sorry. You wanna go ahead? I was just gonna add it. No, no, go hit it up. I was just gonna say one of my favorite uh tattoos over the years, I used to work in this kitchen and this uh sharp came in with a group of people. And uh, you know, as I was I used to do uh I used to do orders over the mic. So people would give me their name, you know, I'd shout the name out, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this guy, he had a tattoo of a swastika with the uh, fucking, uh, the, uh, the red uh, uh, anti-symbol. Yeah, the circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The cross, the X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at first when I looked at it, I was like, who is, the, what, what is this? And then I looked close and I was like, I saw the thing. Got to look close. saw me looking at it. <laughs> and I, then he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, he was. He, he gave kind of a look of like, yeah, you know, like he, like, you know, like he's, like he's a bad gentleman, right? So, <laughs> so I was like, all right, yeah, I like that, man, you know? Right. So that was like one of my first encounters with the sharp. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I always yeah. tell, uh, I tell the young homie, uh, cool chief rock, I said, if I was a white boy, I'd be a skinhead. <laughs> That's funny. That reminds me of a hard times pitch someone made. Is like I really regret getting this anti swastika tattoo in two installments because they got the. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like why would you get that in the first place? But okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, you know, you see a lot of these guys. We call them Pecker Woods, right? Uh, did time in prison and they got the white power tattoos you know but if you were to say something to them they say you know I just did what I had to do to survive in prison I don't really believe in that you know and that that's a whole other that's story. what people say yeah that's a whole other story you I've know? heard that excuse before and it's 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 so, all right it's it's something to consider <laughs> yeah I think for some of them, it's authentic what they're what they're trying to s- express, and and for some of them, it's just a way to get you off their back, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, um, Were you into the? Oh, go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> um, um, you know, and then you know, and then you know, in America, skinhead and even sharp has taken on a, a different. Uh, like, there's a lot of different uh, classes of it in America. I mean, you can see like. Um, um, from from specific crews to specific crews, uh, anti-racist skinheads all kind of like have different styles and different you know views. From uh, from the East Coast, uh, which oh, there's a lot of uh, quote unquote skinheads who really don't dress like skinheads. They more dress like uh, what we ref- affectionately refer to as hardcore kids. Um, right, right. And if you right. want to see what a hardcore kid looks like, you can uh, look at a picture of me. Um, <laughs> just at any period of time. What's the uniform of the hardcore kid? <laughs> Still um, um, that varies too, right? Um, the universe. Um, well, uh, let's see. Um, 
Well, it, it, that does vary. I would say um, being a fan of New York hardcore growing up, I'll go off of that. Um, I wear baggy past the knees. Um, um, Cargo shirts? Um, well, I'd like to say they're, they're, they're military <laughs> shorts. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Before Abercrombie Fitch started mass producing them. <laughs> right. They're, they're, I buy them at the, I, I don't buy them at the mall. I buy them at, um, you know, an army surplus store. So that's different. Like a real um, hardcore kid. Um, I have uh, <laughs> tattoos. I have shaved head. I, I wear, um, I wear a lot of like, Hip hoppy clothing. I wear like uh, so, like a lot of sports jerseys, right? Um, more like I wear like champion and uh, you know things that are like and uh, you know that I um, a lot of what I wear is heavily influenced by hip hop culture. I wear um, either um, typically you will see skinheads wearing Adidas. I most often wear Adidas, but I also will wear like a pair of like uh, uh, Nike Air Max nineties which is also a really common. Uh, I just had a, a pair made by Nike that are in colors I like, by the way, you can do go to Nike and have that custom made. Um, so, you know, like style is a big part of all of it. You know what I mean? Like you would look at me on the street and you'd be like, that guy doesn't spend hours and hours on what he thinks uh, uh, he should be wearing. But the truth is, is like, I will wear almost n next to no things that don't fit into those categories. Um, you know? You got you the hardcore kid, the East Coast hardcore kid uniform that you're talking about, which is synonymous with straight edge. Mm -hmm. um, you guys basically look like 80s hip hop heads with shorts on. Right. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is yeah. which is which is kind of uh, like when you first met me, what did you think, Mike? What did you think when you first I thought me? you were uh, East Coast hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you're grown, I say kid, even though you're a grown ass man, that that's like the the East Coast. You call grown ass men yeah. are affectionate, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, and as somebody who knows a lot of skinheads, um, it's a uh, there's a lot of variety in it. But if you were to go to California and look at some of their skinhead crews, they kind of dress a little California y, and you can see, you know, like if you go to L.A. and you look at. I'm not going to name their names because it's not the, the, the gangs, but like they can kind of dress a little bit like, I don't know, like skaters kind of, you know what I mean? And like you so see the cholo style skaters. So style. A little cholo, a little cholo style. I, I'm just um, curious. What do California people dress like? Like I've done, lived in Florida all my life. Yeah, see, a lot of vans, a lot of low, uh, one thing I noticed is low, low, uh, what is it? Low cut shoes. Okay. Low top. Low top. Yeah, there we go. Sorry. Okay. Low okay. top shoes. Yeah, a lot of, like, like modern days, especially with the vans. Okay. I know I back in the day, it used to be a lot of, like, high top chucks. Mm-hmm. Which you still see some of that. Sometimes, yeah, that was big in, like, in grade school for me. I've, yeah, I've, over here, that's like skater, like skaters would wear those kinds of shoes, but it's like all the youth over there, all the youth, the youths. <laughs> youth. I, um, <laughs> I find um, California really is like, you know, California, like, like subculture kids, like skater kids, all are very cholo influenced, uh, uh, plaid button ups, um, uh, dicky shorts, vans, things like that are, are mm. kind of the common. Um, I personally think Chola culture is uh, 
one of the uh one of the best uh dress cultures like i um i just like just there's just something about it that is just uh, it's arguably the second most imitated culture across the world behind i guess black culture really. for sure especially with the tattooing now you know everybody tattoos themselves like post malone uh, jolo yeah yeah He's yeah, it really kind of, <laughs> and all of that really led from Lil Wayne because Lil Wayne was kind of channeling some of that from mm-hmm. the culture. So, uh, Chicano outlaw culture uh, heavily influenced all American subculture, right? Yeah, state culture, gang culture, outlaw biker culture, different sects of punk rock culture, and skinhead culture. A lot of rock and roll looks come come from that culture. But when you look at the, the history of Chicano culture and black culture, and you're going back into the, the, the 20, coming out of the 20s through the Great Depression into the 30s, um, you're looking at, we had in common zoot suit culture. Yeah. We all yeah. had zoot, zoot suit yeah. culture. Um, okay, and we all listened to, we all shared some sim- very similar music tastes in terms of the kind of soul and R&B and jazz and early rock and roll that we were listening to. And that carries on into today. A lot of the, the OG Cholo culture is going to be listening to very specific soul and R&B records, okay? Still in, in lowrider culture. And one of the, the more fascinating things that I discovered going back into my own personal memory of gangsters on the south side of Chicago as a little boy they wore these shoes. And I was asking, I was like, what are those shoes called? They look kind of like Kung Fu shoes. They're black and they're canvas and they have a gum sole. Well, it turns out that the croaker sack was also worn by gangsters on the West Coast. And it was worn by the cellos and the Chicano people. And it turns out I did some research and I started posting and everybody from every region in the United States was like, yeah, my uncles had them, I had them. And the, the fascinating thing about the croaker sack as a shoe is that the croaker sack was cheap and affordable. And it allowed one to buy a canvas shoe that could mimic as a dress shoe. So everybody wore them. You guys know what I'm talking about, the croaker sack? I am definitely learning. It, sound, it sounds similar to a wallaby. Honestly. <laughs> Got a gum saw? <laughs> it's oh, just... Yeah. It's just a, it's just like a black, um, like oh, slip on almost. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, it's like, a, it's just like a, like, it's just like a slip on. Uh, like an early of, van. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, oh, exactly. Like uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, some people call them winos. Different names regionally. So, um, so if somebody was going to get into ska and kind of go through this whole thing and one of like, they listen to this, uh, this program either on Culture in Motion on KBU or on Spotify or uh, Mod Scott through the Scott uh, groups I'm uh, working with, uh, where would you suggest that they start? Like if somebody had only listened to The Selector or uh, or uh, that first Madness record or... Um, listen, to special. Back, listen to Simmerip. Mm-hmm. Listen to uh, Lee Scratch Perry. Listen to the roots of the music, okay? Mm-hmm. King Tubby, um, then you're gonna come. You're gonna listen to uh, Madness. Um, search skinhead reggae. Yeah, look. Trojan, go, Trojan, 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 Trojan has a great box set. Trojan Records. 
Yeah. Oh yes, Trojan. Yeah. Um, yep. I, you know, you can't leave out like Prince Buster or. Or Mr. Skinhead himself. What's his name? Uh, Laurel Atkin. Um, Laurel Atkins. Yep. Laurel Atkin really played into that whole that whole deal as much he as he was the uh, black skinhead who played yep. Scott. Right. Yep. Yep. Don Letts. Dorian Schaefer. Yeah. Yep. A lot of these guys, they're, 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 you know, there's videos on YouTube where they're telling the story about how it went on the timeline chronologically. And it's fascinating because you're going to see these pictures of these old, you know, ga- guys that are like stylish, almost preppy. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to go, wow, that's a skinhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we talked a lot about, um, we, talk, we had an episode uh, recently on uh, Mod Scott Mike uh, about teaching uh Rachel has done some uh, fucking kids in school. We talked about like a, how Scott program would do amazing in school um, because of the, its historical impact. Um, it's multi, it gives a lot of opportunity to- Creative you know, opportunities. Creative opportunities to different, to different music. And um, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of something more fun than marching band to do with like a trumpet or a trombone or something like that. Uh, you work with kids in school. What do you think about something like that? You know, I, I don't, I am a teaching artist and I work on music recording projects with high school students primarily. Um, I'm using hip hop to engage, but in using hip hop, I understand that hip hop is, is a style of music that was created in the United States of America, but that draws from all cultural influences mm-hmm. in the melting pot of, of the migrant experience in the East Coast United States where it was born in New York City and hip hop is as being a sample based musical platform. It is one of the only musical platforms that um, unapologetically takes from every other genre. So you can mm-hmm. take classical, you can take jazz, you can take ska and still make it hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, in the classroom, we have an opportunity to, if we want to branch out and learn about ska and how without ska and later reggae, there would be no hip hop then that's something that I definitely teach because I teach the history mm-hmm. of Uhur and the outdoor sound system culture that came from Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. So that is the roots of hip hop culture. And what happened in the United States with hip hop happened with skinhead in England. These things are developing simultaneously out of the, the seed of Jamaican migrant culture into the West. Yeah. Appreciate that. Some one other thing that we talked about is uh, totally jumping topic to jumping topics here. Um, our favorite uh, ska albums. So um, I'm very curious about that one from you, Mike. You know, English Beat is one of my favorite uh, ska bands. What was that album they had that had um, the black and pink and black? It was black, pink, and white, and it has um, Mirror in the Bathroom. Mirror in the bathroom. Um, I have a friend who would be very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> me, all time, you put that record on now, and it's going to be, it's one of my all-time favorite Sky records. It's going to yeah. be moving. What was the name of the brother that sang for them? Was it Rankin Roger? Um, it's, sure. um, it's uh, yeah, but it's Rankin Roger. Um, yeah, he was the so yeah, ever Ever Morton was also in that band. He was also a really uh, good uh, musician. Um, very yeah. soulful. The, 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 yeah. Whoever the saxophonist was, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just when you listen to Scott, there was just such a full, rich and soulful sound to what the English 
Beat was able to do that actually surpassed Madness and, and the specials for me. I do like yes. the selector is good. Um, I like the female vocals. Um, the woman singing, what's her name? No, I feel remiss for forgetting her name right now. Um, you know, a black woman involved in the punk scene singing in the ska band is a powerful expression, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again, you have a, a scene that's predominantly male and predominantly white to be frank, you know? Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of people associate ska with no doubt, real big fish. <laughs> yeah, like the the modern. Mike, are you a no doubt modern... fan? I was just that was gonna be my Yeah, and it's are you a big Gwen Stefani vocal? <laughs> no, check this check this out, man. I being a, a punk kid, a hardcore kid, is only natural that I grow up working in nightclubs doing security. Ah. So I did that in Minneapolis, man. I got to see some crazy. I got to see Fela twice before I even knew who Fela was, you know, growing up working these shows. So when I moved to Portland, I'm working in the nightclub and uh, no doubt place. This is early. Um, maybe this is around the time. What was that other California band that was really big that the guy overdosed? Sublime. Yeah, Sublime. Oh, yeah. Right. OK, so this is in that area where both those guys are kind of neck and neck. And mm-hmm. it was right before they blew up and became a huge pop sensation. I didn't know who they were. They opened for Garbage. There was a band called Garbage. It's like mm-hmm. a female hard rock alternative band. And they blew me away. Their stage presence, Gwen Stefani's uh, vocal chops, the mm-hmm. guy Tony, who she was married to on bass, he was all over. They were sick. Mm-hmm. So like... I had a chance to see that. And so I always had respect for them as a band. When they got super huge, everyone started hating on them. Oh, they're fake. They're this, they're that. But what you got to understand about a professional artist um, and bands is that any band that breaks to international superstardom, they're skilled. They've been doing their thing for at least a decade, sometimes Mm -hmm. more. Because that's what it takes to get to the point where you get the relationship and you're in the position to, to make that happen. It doesn't mm-hmm. come over, there is no overnight success. That's a, that's a myth. So I respect them as musicians, whatever happens to them once they get chewed up and spit out by Hollywood, that's another story. I don't, I don't know that, but I do know that when I saw them play, they were good. Mm-hmm. Don't Speak is a good song. It is. Um, it's a great songwriting. <laughs> it's a great song. Oh, if you're yeah. at the grocery store and that comes on, you're gonna be singing quietly. <laughs> yeah. It's good for karaoke. It's good for the chakras. Oh, yeah. It's good for the... <laughs> yes. Opens everything. <laughs> yeah, it opens everything. Up. Well, this has been... Uh, uh, Without <laughs> yoga class. Um, I, I'll never I, I'll never co-sign on Sublime, though. I'm sorry. Like, I, I just can't do it. It's just, can't just, do like, it? Like, Sublime has ended up being, like... They're on my short list of, like, out of, like... Like, I just can't. Yeah, that's the only real song I know from them. I, I don't, I'm not really... Familiar. Which one? Which one, guys? It's it's smoking Spencil Me, uh... You ain't got no name. crystal ball. Oh, Santeria. Santeria, whatever it is. Whatever it is. We can't we can't have Laurel Atkin and Sublime in the same conversation. I'm sorry. It's just... They probably met, you know, and, and, and giving each other props. But you know what? 
I really want to do this again. I got to run now. So great to meet you, Anthony, Rachel, Ryan. Thanks for putting this together. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Great insight, Absolutely. And um, thank you for everybody for tuning in for um, this uh, um, this uh, kind of crossover episode. What a what a great talk! We'll have Mike on again, and um, and please uh, check out um, uh, Culture in Motion and uh, many of Mike's got many of projects. Uh, his hip hop stuff is all over YouTube. Uh, Mike Crenshaw, um, please check it out. Uh, it's got uh, some great stuff. Um, and then of course uh, Rachel and Anthony, thank you so much for uh, Rachel. What's your band name? The Sensibles, little shout out. We got an LP coming eventually. <laughs> LP, what am I talking about? We have an album coming eventually. Where? So t- keep an eye out uh, for that. Um, it's, uh, where are you at doing your stand up online? Where can we catch you? Anthony? Me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually have a sketch video coming out soon um, uh, entitled uh, N Word Scissor Hands. Um, <laughs> so, I'll, I'll be dropping that soon. And uh, yeah, I do have my stand up footage out there. You can find me on YouTube, um, Anthony Robinson. Um, and there you go. Also, I do shows. I mean, everything's opening back up. So I have a show at the East Side Bar and Grill on the 28th of this month. Nice. Um, also starting a show at Harvey's here shortly doing a I, little game show so we got some things coming up i have uh i have four podcasts i have so you can look for me on culture in motion mod scott another gosh dang uh horror podcast <laughs> um and i do a web series with a local comedian uh kyle adams on youtube called Super Size we comedians of car spilling condiments where we uh test a new um uh, fast food uh, seasonal items so that's been kind of fun and um i write for the hard times and i have an upcoming uh, rap career that's gonna uh, be on fire uh, oh, are they, we listing uh, all of our side hustles <laughs> <laughs> look i'm gonna say this and be out with four podcasts i'm gonna call you quadcast oh <laughs> I, like I like that all right y'all all right peace great man. having you mike like and uh, any last words for a mod squad crowd? Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. Vaccinated or not vaccinated, stay the heck safe. Stay safe. Yeah, stay but safe. really, though, get vaccinated. Why would you not get, get vaccinated? If I mean, if it's not your turn yet, or <laughs> if it's you have a party thing, to go you know? to a week before, <laughs> what's up? No, no, I'm just being an anti vaxxer. Oh. you know, like you. It's you should more essential oils. Yeah, like get your crystals and like, you know, like <laughs> really make get some sure Gwen Stefani karaoke. Open your chakra. Like, <laughs> yeah, like really get your chakras aligned and like <laughs> make sure your astrology chart is like really on point. So but, like, talk to your holistic therapist. Shit. Yeah, keep that science stuff out of me. Uh, <laughs> tired of science. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for a great episode, y'all. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank All right. you. Uh, Mod Squad crowd, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Adios. Bang, bang.